electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hey, you got your scorecard on Wall Street, but winners really stay late this time. Welcome to Closing Dog Overtime. I'm John Fort with Morgan Brennan, and the Dow has extended its winning streak to 12 days, the longest in more than six years. The S&P 500 closing higher for the sixth time in seven. And now brace yourself for a whirlwind of big earnings reports. Alphabet, Microsoft, Visa, Texas Instruments, and Snap. We're going to break down all the results as soon as they hit the wire. So let's get right to it. Joining us now, Adam Crisofulli, Vital Knowledge founder, and Dan Ives, Wedbush Securities Managing Director of Equity Research here on set. Dan, how big a deal is tonight's rush of earnings? It's a Super Bowl for tech earnings. I say for the overall market, because of the AI revolution, this is really now the second, third, fourth derivative of that NVIDIA guidance heard around the world the last quarter. You look at Microsoft and Redmond, that's where the trophy case is. I'm expecting a cloud beat there, cloud beat on Alphabet. And I believe this is really, in my opinion, going to put fuel. And when I see tech stocks being up 12 to 15 percent second half of the year. Adam, that worries me a little bit because expectations are so high. I mean, you got Google near Alphabet near 52 week highs. It's year to date gains, though, trailing Microsoft. There's a trillion dollar market cap gap between them now. And you've got Microsoft just shy of all-time high. So how good do these results have to be for them to go higher? Yeah, I mean, obviously the bar is very high. We saw last week tech earnings season kick off, um, and you kind of saw what I mentioned, sorry, just to interrupt you there real quick, Microsoft results are out, and we are going through them now. Um, the, the stock, at least for the quick moment, taking a dip in the after hours, but we'll give you those numbers as soon as we go through them. Adam, back to you. Yeah, no, I was just going to say the bar is very high for these earnings, but you've seen in the last week, you know, NVIDIA, I'm sorry, uh, Netflix, Tesla kicked the season off on a relatively downbeat note, but the broader market's held in well because you've seen a broadening out of the rally. So it was very, very tech heavy um, in the opening months of the year. But just in the last several weeks, you've seen a nice broadening out with banks, energy, capital goods, other sectors are picking up some of the slack. So that allows the market to absorb some of these disappointing results. Um, you know, we'll have to go through all the details with Microsoft. Remember, Microsoft doesn't give out guidance for another hour and a half, two hours. So this is only half of the report that we're seeing right now. Um, but definitely the bar is very high for all these companies. That's right. And of course, Alphabet just crossing the wires, too. We're going through those results as well. Um, in the meantime, Dan, I, what matters more, whether when it comes to Microsoft and Never mind. I'm going to go to Steve Kovac with Microsoft. Steve, what do you have for us? Hey there, Morgan. So, yes, we have a beat on the top and bottom lines for Microsoft, despite what the dip in shares are seeing. EPS coming in at $2.69. $2.55 was what the street was looking for. And a slight beat here on revenue, $56.19 billion versus the $55.47 billion expected. And I'll just throw in here, Azure cloud growth slightly beating expectations, 26% year on on-year growth versus the 25% or slightly above 25% rather the street was looking for. Now keep in mind that slowdown continues. It was 40% growth in that year ago quarter, Morgan. All right. 
Uh, Steve Kovac, thank you. Dan, want to get your instant reaction to that. Azure, better than expected, but still uh, representing a slowdown versus what we saw last year. Yeah, Does that I matter? Think, I think it's an initial beat, and this is all the drum roll to what I view as really the key with AI and in terms of not just next quarter, the next two to three years, where they are at the top of the mountain to monetize AI. So I think this is one conference call. I expect Nadella to be upbeat, and I think you look at these numbers, it's hard to pick holes in it. In my opinion, I think... I'll call it an A-minus quarter. I expect A-plus in terms of the conference call. I think there's a stock 24 hours from now that will be green as long as we have a forecast that continues to be in line to slightly higher. Does, this, do, does AI and these newer applications of AI enable Microsoft to take market share from others like Amazon? I mean, right now, they are gaining market share from Jassy and AWS. And I think ultimately, it's in their backyard of the enterprise. They're going to gain more and more share. We believe for every $100 of cloud spend, they could gain incremental $35 to $40. And that's why right now, this is just get out the popcorn moment. Any sort of knee-jerk reaction, we view this as just sort of an asterisk. I view this as a $3.5 trillion mark cap in a year. All right. I'm a little disappointed you didn't bring the popcorn <laughs> to set today. It's, it's popping backstage. Okay. Adam, it goes back to um, the question, and we'll see where the numbers shake out. You mentioned the guide comes on the call. It, Microsoft is in the red, at least for the moment, after hours, though. Looking through, I'm, I'm looking through some of the business lines. I'm sure we'll hear more from Steve Kovac in just a bit. You know, they look fine. LinkedIn revenue up five percent, seven percent. Constant currency, office consumer products, cloud services up three percent, six percent. Constant currency, Windows OEM down, which you'd probably expect in a quarter like this. But again, it goes to that question: How good, especially given that I was looking back, um, the, these stocks chop around for a little bit, a couple of days after earnings, sometimes, and then make a dramatic move. No, right. I think, you know, with, with Microsoft and AI, you know, Microsoft dominates AI mindshare. Now, I think it's a question of how quickly you start to see AI really start to hit the financial statements, the income statement. Um, and that really kind of remains to be seen. It, it won't necessarily be an immediate massive driver, um, you know, especially for the Azure division. But over the course of the next fiscal year, and we're going to get insight into the next fiscal year tonight, because this is their fiscal Q4. You know, that could be a different story. But I think for now, the mind share might be running a little bit ahead as far as the ultimate financial impact over the next couple of quarters with this company. Okay. Uh, Alphabet earnings are out as well. Deirdre Bosa has those numbers. D. Hey, guys, shares, they are popping up more than 4% on the back of this beat on both the top and bottom line. In terms, in terms of earnings per share coming in at $1.44 versus $1.34, so a 10-cent beat there. Revenue also better than expected, coming in at $74.6 billion. 72.8 was expected. But here is some interesting news, guys. CFO Ruth Porat, she will assume a newly created role of president and chief investment officer of Alphabet and Google, of course. She has long been the CFO at Alphabet. And we know that Alphabet, I don't know the exact number off my head, but is sitting on tens and tens of billions of dollars in cash. She has been an advocate of buyback. So it sounds like her sort of responsibilities are expanding. And it's very interesting that they have this role of chief investment officer. We'll have to see what she does with that. So that's where we are at now. Shares are up nearly 5%. All right. Uh, yeah. Dear Jabosa, thank you. Um, 
Dan Ives, want to get your reaction to this with the stock uh, moving higher and this expanded role for Ruth Porat, who we know has been somewhat of the Wall Street whisperer when it comes to Google and, and decoding their results over the, these last however many years. The street's going to love this move. I think the more power she gets, the better. In terms of being a Wall Street whisperer, you look at these numbers, digital advertising, stabilizing, upticking. You look at YouTube, look at that Google Cloud. I think more and more, you, and we'll hear that in the conference call, more and more gains from AWS. Combine that with Microsoft, unless you have a telescope, I don't see a recession out there. And I think you combine this, the bears, they'll come out of their hibernation mode and try to poke holes in it. You look at Alphabet, this is a stock that ultimately is going to be higher, in my opinion. Everything you heard from Bolt, check, check, check. And I think Microsoft as well, and this is just get ready for the Nadella, the Tactician Hall of Famer on the conference call. All right, well, hang with us because we've got another earnings report to tell you about. Texas, Texas Instruments, those results are out. Christina Partsonevelis has the numbers. Hi, Christina. Hi, well, I did see a top and bottom line beat EPS of $1.87 higher than the street on revenues of $4.53 billion. That was a 3% increase sequentially, but down about 13% year over year. The concern that you're seeing in the stock right now, it did drop. It could have to do with the Q3 guidance. Q3 EPS guidance came in at $1.68 to $1.92. That is a little bit lower than the uh, estimate at $1.91, where we're talking about the range. And then the company in the press release also said they experienced weakness across our end markets, with the exception of automotive. So it seems they're still experiencing weakness across all uh, markets. Analog embedded also did beat, but you're seeing the reaction in the stock right now, most likely because of the uh, more conservative guidance for Q3 EPS. Back to you guys. Yeah, I think important to note Texas Instruments, not exactly a read through to other chip makers who people might be looking forward to this week, including Intel. And then uh, in the days after AMD, etc., they're very broad in consumer electronics. And so it's more of a kind of general consumer products read, uh, if anything, you know, noting the difference between automotive strengths some analog, but, but don't necessarily read through there. Do we have Visa out? We do indeed. Uh, Kate Rooney has those numbers. Kate. We do, John. Ford. We've got Visa's third quarter earnings, fiscal third quarter. Looks like a beat here on the top and bottom line. EPS, $2.16. That was $0.04 cents better than expected on revenues of $8.12 billion. Also a beat there on revenue. Payments volume up 9% in the quarter. Transactions processed or transaction volume pretty much $54 billion as well. And it uh, looks like the stock here moving slightly lower after uh, after the report here. We don't have guidance quite yet, but we'll bring you any updates. John, back to you. All right, Kate, thank you. Adam Crisofuli, um, we got a lot fast and furious there, so maybe now let's sit back and digest for a bit. I'll note that Microsoft, after hours, and again, we get guidance on the call, so don't put too much into this. It's now just down fractionally. We had that news out of Alphabet. Ruth Porat is transitioning from CFO to president and chief investment officer, which is an unusual title for a technology company. She'll continue to serve until February, uh, sorry, until September 1st during that transition. Uh, again, that stock higher. I mean, is this a situation where the news is pretty good from these big names that have been so important to this market? Yeah, I think for Google, the key takeaway is that just the core advertising business is performing a lot better than expected. You're seeing a nice rebound um, in that part of in that business. And that's obviously very cyclical. That bodes well for the broader macroeconomic outlook. You know, management hinted on their last call that they were going to see a stabilization. It looks like that's happening a little bit quicker than expected. Um, and you're seeing a nice rebound. And it's probably going to accelerate further into the September quarter. So that's the big takeaway from from Alphabet. Uh, Texas Instruments, I think, you know, their problem is their auto business, as far as a percent of the total mix, is not as big as what was uh, is with the case with NXPI. 
which came out Monday night, had very strong numbers. Their business is dominated by autos. Autos is, is very strong right now as far as unit output, um, which is which is really doing well. But the other parts of their end markets are still, um, you know, suffering from some sluggish demand conditions and destocking. All right. But the the alphabet advertising numbers are the, are the big highlights so far. Gotcha. All right. Well, Snap's results are out as well. Kate Rogers has those numbers. Hi, Kate. Hey, Morgan. Snap reporting a narrower than expected adjusted loss of two cents a share, better than the four cent projected loss. Revenue is a slight beat at one point zero seven billion versus the one point zero five billion anticipated. Daily active users a beat at three hundred and ninety seven million in the quarter. That is above the three hundred and ninety four point nine million projected on the advertiser front. Snap says it has record active advertisers in the quarter, up more than 20 percent year on year and through improved retention, rather, compared to this time last year. In terms of guidance, which it has not uh, given in recent quarters, the company giving some official guidance here, seeing uh, Q3 daily active users of between 405 and 406 million versus the street's expectation of 406 million. The company says forward visibility of advertising demand remains limited. Q3 revenues anticipated between 1.0. 7 billion and 1.13 billion and Q3 adjusted EBITDA of between negative 50 million and negative 100 million both of those numbers disappointing the street and as you can see the stock is down about 16% now guys back over to you all right Kate Rogers thank you don't miss an exclusive interview with Snap CEO Evan Spiegel that's going to be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern on Squawk on the Street Dan uh, snap. It has not had a good go of it these last two years. I mean, I, I, is, is, is there a secular story going on with Snap in a situation where despite a macro, uh, an uncertain macroeconomic environment, advertisers are spending money, but they're spending money on places like Google instead? Yeah, if you looked up disaster in the dictionary, you'd see Snap's ticker. Because ultimately, they continue to lose market share in digital advertising. And again, again, if you look... There's no confidence in this management team. Execution, in terms of what we've seen from a marketing perspective, you know, and ultimately, you look at these numbers, it just feels like a quicksand feel. And ultimately, that, those dollars, they're going to others. Because look at what we saw from Google. Look at what I believe we're going to see from Meta. You look at what's happening across the board. Right now, they're just on the wrong side of this trend. This is an ever-cycle uphill battle for growth, in my opinion, for Snap. All right. Adam, I want to get your thoughts on this, too, whether it is Snap or, by the way, Visa, which is such a key read on the consumer and talked about a resilient consumer and continues to see some growth there. I would imagine travel again this quarter as we still go through the results here and, and await the call. I would imagine travel continues to be one of those areas where, where we've seen that resilience coming from. No, I think in the case of Snap, it, it's just another issue of, you know, Online advertising, it's, it's kind of dominated by Meta, Google, and TikTok. Um, and, you know, your other more ancillary players just are subscale increasingly. You know, the AU, the, the user growth is, is nice, but you saw a decent user growth with Spotify also. And if it's not translating into profitability or revenue growth, investors just are kind of giving up on the story. So Alphabet, Meta, I agree, probably going to have pretty healthy results based on what uh, Google's posting. And then TikTok also is a huge player that's that's hovering up market share in this market um and it's those three that are really dominating and snap unfortunately just you know it's it's hard for it to uh to really grow in this environment dan the the two things in alphabet's report that i was primed to zero in on and i still am are the youtube number which beat um at at 7.7 billion versus about 7.4 expected and google cloud hitting 8 billion in revenue versus 7.8 expected. I mean, the overall a- 
pads strength is great. I mean, it's, it's certainly big difference between Snap and Alphabet, but those are the kind of growth areas that you would really, if you're going to be excited about Alphabet, you really want to see outperform, right? And a big part of the stock getting re-rated is what we see on cloud. I mean, because ultimately, I could argue they're gaining more and more share. That cloud business, some of the parts, they talk to talk. Now they're walking the walk, gaining more and more share. And you have the AI, and I know they'll talk about in this conference call, that they're going to integrate more and more of that into the cloud. You look at YouTube, it's a flex the muscles moment. You combine this. If you are an Alphabet bull right now, you are relaxing, just watching this, waiting for that conference call, and really being happy. Because ultimately, for tech, a lot of fear is coming in here. You look at Microsoft, you look at Alphabet, I think you'll see smiles from the bulls by the end, by the end of these conference calls. <laughs> All right, but, but the Fed's tomorrow, so I don't know how much you can entirely relax. Teladoc earnings are out now. Bertha Coombs has those numbers. Bertha. Hi, John. Teladoc beating on both the top and the bottom line, posting a loss of 40 cents a share. That's a penny better than what the street was looking for. And the top line revenues came in at 60 152.4 million, also better than the estimate of just over 649 million. What's really interesting is when you look at their membership numbers, uh, some of their membership numbers were a little short, particularly when you talk about their mental health division. Better Help came in at 476,000. Street looking for more like 485,000, and that's down sequentially from last quarter. But the margins there were strong, and the overall uh, revenues in the Better Help segment was also better than expected. As far as their guidance, they're guiding near the high end. They're looking at a loss now of $1.25 to $1.60 per share. The street is looking for a loss of $1.34 for full year. And they're also looking at revenues of $2.6 to $2.68 billion, which also tops what the street is looking for on the high end. You can see the shares up more than 8%. I will note there is a 15% short interest in Teladoc. Back over to you. All right, so maybe a little bit of a short squeeze playing out here, too. Bertha Coombs, thank you. We've got breaking news on PacWest. Leslie Picker has the details. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Morgan. As was earlier reported by the Wall Street Journal, PacWest is merging with Bank of California, a deal announced just moments ago. Uh, for all intents and purposes, this is really Bank of California uh, acquiring PacWest. It will retain the Bank of California name. Uh, it will retain Bank of California management. There's a lot of financial engineering as a result of this transaction here. There's a 400 million dollar um, equity program uh, led by Centerbridge um, and Warburg Pincus. They'll invest about 400 million of newly issued equity securities concurrent with this merger. Um, and the proceeds of those of that capital raise um, are expected to be uh, helping to kind of shore up the balance sheet of the combined company. Essentially, they'll repay $13 billion in wholesale borrowings um, funded by sales of assets, which PacWest has already been doing a lot of uh, selling of its assets as part of kind of just shoring up its balance sheet in the wake of what we saw in March and April. It had experienced some volatility as a uh, result of this, partly due to its location in California, partly due to uh, some underwater loans on its balance sheet as well. It has been deleveraging as a result of kind of trying to restore confidence in the market um, as a result of this. Um, they say that the deal will be accretive uh, with estimated 2024 EPS and tangible book value accretion of 20 plus percent and 3 percent respectively. So uh, quite an interesting deal, quite an interesting turn of events. Of course, all of this is subject to regulatory approvals, which in this environment 
is a bit more of a question mark than maybe it would be historically, especially in the banking system. Morgan? Yeah, that's going to be key to watch. It looks like we've got an, uh, a conference call on this, maybe uh, 5.30 Eastern time mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Leslie Picker covering the story for us. Thank you. Adam, I got to get your reaction to this because PacWest was one of those names that was hit so hard. There was an expectation that this could be uh, another one of those beleaguered regional banks with, with some questions around the balance sheet, uh, deposit outflows, et cetera, um, where, where something would need to be done. Now we get this. I realize there's some financial engineering here, but you could argue that this is a take under. Stock's still down 66 percent. Is this the beginning of the next chapter for the regional banks or is this a one off? I think it remains to be seen, but it's very notable that this is the first deal. Uh, there was a smaller regional deal announced this morning, but this is kind of the first notable deal since the March panic that the Fed or the FDIC is not involved in. So this is all private sector participants. You have outside funds providing equity to facilitate the transaction. That's obviously a vote of confidence. Um, and I think, you know, the big take, the big, I think what remains to be seen is how quickly this will be approved. So you saw the uh, the TD First Horizon deal that collapsed relatively recently. Um, you know, I think that was a real negative as far as deal activity. So the fact that this is being announced all with outside, with, with uh, non-government participation, that's encouraging. And now I think it's just a question of how quickly they can get regulatory approval for it, because that's going to be really critical. Regulators want more regional consolidation. They have to accelerate the, the process for them approving these deals. Yeah, and that, that's going to be sort of the key thing to watch. We've certainly had a number of regulators on this show in recent months who have suggested that maybe they would be more open to that type of consolidation, but we'll see if the rubber re- meets the road here. Adam Crisofuli, thanks for kicking off the hour with us here in real-time reaction to earnings. Dan, we're going to see you back in a little bit, so don't go too far. We're just getting started. It is a wild hour of earnings and other breaking news. Up next, much more reaction to results from Alphabet and Microsoft. Plus, we will bring you any headlines from Texas Instruments. That call kicks off in just a few minutes. Overtime, back in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Overtime. Alphabet and Microsoft just reporting earnings. Those stocks moving in opposite directions right now, but Microsoft is pairing the losses and Shifting back or closer to the uh, flat line here, Dan Ives, Webbush Securities Managing Director of Equity Research, is back with us along with Matt McElwain, Madrona Venture Group Managing Director. Matt, I'll kick it off with you. The results we just got from Alphabet and Microsoft, um, the read-through, your reaction, the read-through to the broader tech landscape right now and what we could see from other big cap tech names and what it means for the startup landscape, too, which we know is very focused right now on AI. 
Yeah, well, I think the read through is, is that we're just getting started in what I'll call the AI windfall. And that AI windfall is going to help all of these big tech companies. Their challenge is they got to put the CapEx out first before they can start to even get their own internal OpEx savings and then see the revenue come on the upside later. You know, Microsoft and Salesforce just announced their pricing for their AI enhanced offerings. What that means for startups is it's a time of choosing, right? They're trying to choose who to partner with and whether they're going to partner with Microsoft, who is clearly in the lead right now, which is a turnabout from history in cloud where previously Amazon was in the lead. And Google, who is really hustling, you saw a little bit of signs even in these numbers that just came out, that Google Cloud is getting more aggressive. They're investing dollars into startup companies. They're partnering with startup companies. They're just more... Um, uh, energized to work with the startup ecosystem that I've candidly ever seen them. Dan, I see you nodding your head. We saw cloud revenue climb 28% uh, for Alphabet. Your thoughts? I mean, I think this is an inflection point in that story. I think when you look at cloud for many years, no one really took them seriously. And now they have a, they have a seat at the big table. And I think you look at Jazzy and Amazon, they're watching these, and he sees what's happened with the Crosstown 206 rival Nadella gaining more and more share. You got Alphabet gaining share, and I believe this is a fourth industrial revolution playing out. And you look at AI, this is a gold rush. This is, in my opinion, it's a 1995 moment, unlike anything we've seen since the Internet in 1995. And you look at where Google sits, you look where Microsoft sits, they sit at the top of the mountain. Amazon right now, they're back against the wall when it comes to cloud. I guess we'll see in their numbers. But Matt, I wonder how much of a read through there really is here at all, especially when I contrast uh, Alphabet's results with Snap's results. I mean, we've had in these major indices the story of the big tech companies and everybody else. And that seems to be mm -hmm. playing out in these earnings as well. Do, do you disagree? I, I agree with you, John. I, again, because this AI windfall is coming, all these big tech companies know how to leverage it not only to, to you know, save costs themselves, and I think that's helping them in terms of, you know, this has been the year of everybody getting fit, but they're also, they've been using AI for over a decade, you know, and, and whether it's Google with search historically or even what they do within their, their Google, you know, mail applications, Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, you just go right down the list. They have been working with not only building models, but deploying models and deploying them at scale with lots of different companies. So what I think what's going to be interesting is to see is which ones can adapt to this true AI moment. You know, Amazon and AWS in particular, I think is the most challenged they've ever been. It is a hard time for them to figure out how to clearly tell their story. They actually have a lot of great substance underneath it, but they don't have the right story yet. In the meantime, Amazon's innovating. You saw, you'll see their advertising numbers. I expect they'll be very good again. You see what they're doing in terms of improving the customer experience in terms of the core site. There's a know projects underway at, you know, with Alexa as well. So AWS is really the one that's got to figure it out. And their two big challenges is they are historically not great at partnering and they really don't have an application presence. And we so, think more of the value is going to move up the stack uh -huh. from the large language model layer to the middleware to the generative applications. And that's where Amazon's got to figure out their strategy. Dan, we, we get a test on how much of a read through there is in enterprise software when we get ServiceNow uh, tomorrow as well. They've been growing pretty strongly. But the valuations here are not cheap with, with the big names. They had already been running more. So how careful do investors have to be about just how well they have to continue to perform and just how sensitive they might be to overall macro headlines because 
maybe they're not as safe, uh, you know, valuation-wise as they once were. Sure. I think you started to see with Arvin and IBM. I think you'll see with McDermott Service now. I think ultimately it's software. It's going to lead the rally, in my opinion, software and chips. This is a golden age for software in terms of what we've seen with the second, third, fourth derivative. Also, I had cybersecurity in there as well. That's why you look at NVIDIA and Microsoft. Now, look at the second, third, fourth derivatives. I think you're going to see at the next few weeks in terms of earnings. And in my opinion, that's why there's a bright green light to own tech. I'm not saying that there's not the losers on the other side of this. Snap's a good example. Dog ate the homework, blame the weather, whatever the excuse but ultimately the winners, I believe this is really, in my opinion, the star of a new tech bull market. Mm. Uh, Matt, balancing investment when it comes to AI and some of these new possibilities against what it's going to take to actually see monetization and, and the realization of those investments. Well, I think we're through this get fit era for a lot of these companies. And the thing that's going to show up, I think, when we look underneath in the numbers is they've had to put a lot of CapEx up so they can build the products that can be differentiated and monetized. And the big players, like the ones we're just, we've just been talking about, are going to enhance their existing services. You know, it's Microsoft 365 Copilot, it's GitHub Copilot. And then there's going to be a whole wave of startups that are truly gen native, building from first principles, companies like Runway ML and Typeface and Jasper.ai. And the interesting battle that will take a little bit more time to emerge is can those companies, without the customers and the context and the data of the big tech companies, be able to go win on better true gen native offerings? Uh, and, and I think that's going to be battle zone number two. Battle zone number one is this winning the hearts and minds of the startups, winning the hearts and minds of the partners, winning the hearts and minds of the uh, enterprises that Microsoft, again, is clearly in the lead right now in the early days of the AI uh, windfall race. Okay. Matt McElwain from Madrona and Dan Ives from Wedbush. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Texas Instruments earnings call is just getting started. Up next, a top analyst is going to tell us what he wants to hear on it. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back. The conference call for Texas Instruments is underway right now. That stock is down a couple percent after hours right now. And joining us, John Vinn from KeyBank Capital Markets. John, um, let's see, Q2 revenue for Texas Instruments came in above your estimate, as did gross margin. Uh, You expected the guide to be uh, about as weak as it was, maybe even a little weaker. The stock is down here. What should investors do? Yeah, I think, um, you know, long-term investors should stick with the name. Uh, I think what you're seeing here play through is, you know, you've got a weak China market that's really kind of weighing on um, kind of expectations for kind of a second half rebound here. Uh, Guidance was flat uh, in terms of revenues, which is 600 basis points below normal seasonal. And the commentary kind of suggests that everything with exception of automotive is, is still pretty weak right now. So what, if any, read-throughs are there? I've been thinking there aren't that many. I do think about Qualcomm, though, um, which hasn't been performing that well as a stock. 
um, because people know that handsets are weak. They do have an automotive business, which is a growth area for them, which you might expect to go well, but what does this say about the, the state of demand for electronics overall, which TI tends to be a, a good bellwether for? Yeah, I would say it's a pretty kind of muted kind of outlook for the broader analog group. Um, you bring up Qualcomm, you know, their automotive franchises is a very smaller, uh, small percentage of their business, so it's really not going to move the needle for them in the near term. Long term, it could become more significant and that continues obviously to be the standout sector within semis right now also in addition to ai which we've all been talking about but right now i think the broader semiconductor market is really still waiting for any signs of life in the uh, in the china market despite that country coming out of uh covid protocol yeah why do you why do you think it's been from a semiconductor and a demand supply chain demand story. Why do you think it has been so sluggish for this sector in China with the reopening? I think um, their economy is struggling. I, I think a lot of consumption is really consumer driven. You know, and China, from a semiconductor consumption perspective, accounts for 30% of global semiconductor demand. Hmm. Um, and consumer electronics is a, is a big component of it. Uh, consumer IoT, PCs, smartphones, I mean, these are all very consumer-centric, um, you know, end, end markets. And if the China consumer is not spending like we've seen in the rest of the world coming out of COVID, um, that's just going to kind of weigh on the, the broader base markets here. So key question you have going into the earnings call, which I know it just kicked off a couple minutes ago, but what do you want to hear to remain convinced that this is a buy? Um, one, um, we want to see and hear about any sort of indications of China recovering and at what pace and what time frame China is going to recover. And then longer term, you know, TI strategy is, you know, their inherent implicit advantage is they've got a manufacturing advantage with 300 millimeter manufacturing. Uh, gross margins looks like it did miss street numbers. Um, the guidance does imply that gross margins is a little bit weak. So potentially they've got a lot of that depreciation spends. Uh, hitting the numbers here as they ramp capacity. But over the longer term, uh, I think we want to hear that they still remain convicted that that's going to give them a competitive advantage versus their uh, their peers out there. All right, John Vin, thanks for joining us. Shares are under pressure in after hours. They did hit a fresh 52-week high in trading earlier today, though, ahead of this report. Snap shares, ooh, sinking after uh, this quarterly report. Up next, the top analysts react to those results and what they could mean for Meta's earnings tomorrow. Shares are down 18.5% right now. Yeah, that, that's a lot. And Alphabet CFO for now, Ruth Porat, just speaking with our Deirdre Bosa. Highlights of that call when overtime returns. Get back to our Deirdre Bosa, who just spoke with Google's chief financial officer for now, Ruth Porat. Uh, Dee, first of all, did she say what, what a chief investment officer means at Google? Is it life a chief, chief operating officer along with president or, or kind of what role she's transitioning into? She focused a little bit more on the president side, and she did make a point to say that she was going to be working closely with policymakers. I did ask her what a CIO means for that huge cash pile that they have, um, which is cash and cash equivalents and market securities of nearly $120 billion. She didn't give much there, but she said that she would be, you know, managing that. I also asked her, you know, why this was happening now, and she said 
She made the point that she has been a CFO for 14 years, eight years at Google, and before that, Morgan Stanley for six years. So it was time for a new challenge, with C- which CEO Senator Pichai was on board for. Um, so she will remain CFO while looking for a new one. We also chatted a little bit about CapEx because it was less than the street expected. She said that it was helped by the moderating pace of office and headcount expansion. And it comes as a little bit of a surprise because we've been talking about how expensive this generative AI shift has been. And to this point, she says that there was a delay in data center construction projects. So maybe that's moved out a little bit on the horizon. In terms of the core business, she talked about continued resilience in search. And finally, guys, I did try to push her on AI monetization. It said any plans to start charging for these products. And she wouldn't say anything to me, but she said there would be more on the analyst call, which I will also be on, and that kicks off in about 15 minutes. All right. That's a cliffhanger right there. Shares are up 7%. Deirdre Bosa, thank you. Really quickly, that was interesting, the emphasis on president. When you think about like a Nick Clegg at a Meta, or you think about a Brad Smith at a Microsoft, these are all names that are under regulatory scrutiny and have to interact more and more on a policy standpoint with not only the U.S. government, but governments around the world. It sounds like she's raising her hand for that. If she's going to be yeah. interacting with policymakers, maybe, you know, she's who they send to Congress. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, but uh, that, that's definitely a more high profile role. All right. Well, snap shares are falling sharply after reporting results. The social media giant beating expectations, but issuing weaker than expected guidance. Joining us now is Angelo Zeno of CFRA. This stock, I mean, I would say this was a wild move for Snap, but it kind of isn't. I mean, it tends to be a big mover in both directions post-earnings and and lately, at least over the last couple of years, more so to the downside. Are you surprised by these numbers? What is your reaction? Yeah, I mean, I'd almost say it's not an earnings season for Snap unless you saw at least a 15% decline in the stock, right? But as far as the the quarter is concerned, I think um, the actual results, we're actually okay. I mean, we saw our sales fall about, you know, four to five percent. Daily active users down about, you know, a grew about fourteen percent. So those were in line with our expectations. Um, the guidance was a bit light, but I think as far as you know, our concern, you know, our biggest concern out there is is the actual cost here, the infrastructure cost um, per daily active user that they guided to seventy nine cents to eighty four cents. Um, if you kind of look at that relative to where they were at the end of Q1, that would represent about a 35 to 40% increase over a two-quarter span. So the costs to kind of invest in AI are, you know, are, are, are significant here. And you're not necessarily seeing kind of the fruits of their labor right now going into the second half. So I think that's the biggest concern out there right now for investors. Is that, is that a reflection of how competitive the broader social media landscape is right now, whether it's TikTok or whether it's Meta uh, or others that have deeper pockets to make uh, bigger, more sizable investments? Yeah, listen, I think this is an environment right now where, where you know, it, it pays to be big. I think the bigger getting bigger. I think, it, you know, if you're a company like Meta, clearly um, you can kind of invest at any price and, um, you know, whether it be on the metaverse or in AI or what have you. Um, there's clearly a benefit there. And when you're one of these smaller players out there like a Snap, um, you, you do need to invest and you need to invest significantly or you kind of, you know, you're left behind. So um, this is a very tough situation for a company like Snap in this environment um, where, you know, budgets are still relatively tight. You're not necessarily seeing an acceleration out there in terms of the advertising space. And, um, you know, it's going to take time for Snap to really kind of see 
some sort of notable improvement as far as the top line is concerned. But that okay. said, engagement re remains very high, and daily active users continue to grow much better um, than many of its peers out there. Yeah, and so that's where I was going to go, because there is a bullish argument here, right? And yep. not too long ago, people were saying, oh, Facebook's over, Meta's over, Facebook's dead, blah, blah, blah. That stock popped back. Uh, Meta was trading here five years ago, and it went higher at some point. They've got experience in augmented reality and artificial intelligence. I don't know, would you argue that this is an expensive stock? And unless you think that Snap is going to die, not, not even get bought, but just die, why would an investor take a risk here? Well, I think it all depends on the investor you are, right? I mean, if you're an investor out there that kind of um, has a longer term time horizon and someone that's kind of willing to kind of, you know, take this contrarian side of things, I absolutely think this is uh, potentially a good opportunity to buy the shares. And, um, you know, you kind of, again, look at kind of where the daily active users are, are at there. You're potentially talking about, you know, a, a billion in terms of monthly active users here over the next two to three years. Eventually, the advertisers, we think, will come back to, um, you know, the Snap platform. And you're already seeing that when you start looking at the numbers on a year-over-year -year basis. The issue they've had, you know, continuously here has been on monetizing that platform. And if you are a believer that over time they can find ways to monetize it, and we are believers of that, um, it, I think it pays to be patient at, at this point in time, given we've seen the stock drop, you know, 80 to 85 percent from peak levels. We'll see who gets there first, Threads or Snap. Angelo, thank you. <laughs> thank you. This wild hour of earnings, well, it's not over yet. We're going to highlight some of the other earnings movers that need to be on your radar as we count down to the calls from Alphabet, Microsoft, Visa, and Snap, and another stock moving lower as we head to break. Robert Half sinking after a miss on earnings and revenue. See it down there, 11.5%. Staffing and recruitment firm says its results were impacted by slower client hiring cycles as a result of ongoing macroeconomic uncertainty. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Overtime. Leaders in the sports industry gathering today at Game Plan, an event hosted by CNBC and Boardroom moments ago. ESPN's chairman, James Pataro, spoke with our very own Julia Borston about the future of live sports. He responded to a CNBC report that the sports channel has held talks with the NBA, NFL, and MLB about forming a strategic partnership. Here's what he said. Can't comment on who we're talking to. Um, I, will, I will emphasize the fact that we believe that there are parties out there uh, that can help us on the content side. Um, and so you can, you can draw whatever conclusions you want from that, but you know, my priority is when we do launch flagship channels directly to the consumer a la carte, that the content proposition is as compelling as it can be. All right, you can read between the lines there a little bit. Little. <laughs> if you want to catch more of Game Plan, check out the QR code that is on your screen right now. And if you want more on Texas Instruments earnings, the CEO is making headlines on the call. Christina Parks and Evelis can tell you what they are. Christina? Yeah, I'm just listening to the call right now. Texas Instruments Management is warning that in Q3, which is this current quarter right now, they are, quote, not expecting to see any significant change in our end markets compared to this last quarter. In other words, there continues to be weakness all across all end markets with, of course, the exception of automotive and likely limited signs of recovery in China. That negative reasoning contributed to the weaker quarterly guide that we saw for Q3 and why the stock is down almost 4%.
Yeah. I'm going to get back on that call. John? All right. Yeah, a little bit lower even than when the numbers first crossed. Christina, thanks. Thanks. Well, it's not just about earnings. We're also focused on tomorrow's Fed decision. Up next, J.P. Morgan Chief U.S. Economist Mike Ferroli on what he wants to hear from Fed Chair Powell tomorrow. We'll be right back. Breaking news, Wells Fargo announcing a new $30 billion buyback. CEO Charlie Scharf saying its capital levels are strong, allowing the bank to return excess capital to shareholders. The bank had previously announced a $0.35 cent dividend as well. Well, we're checking on some big overtime movers uh, as well. Alphabet up nearly 7%, almost 8% right now. CFO Ruth Porat saying there is stabilization in the ad market and continued resilience in search while announcing her own move to a new position of CIO and president for Alphabet. Shares of CoStar moving lower. Full-year revenue guidance coming in lighter than prior guidance to reflect lower property transaction volume. Expectations in the second half of the year. Those shares are down 2.5%. As well. Yeah, and the Federal Reserve expected to hike 25 basis points tomorrow to its highest level in 22 years. But what does Wall Street want to hear from Powell at the news conference? Let's bring in J.P. Morgan Chief U.S. Economist Mike Faroli. Um, Mike, it it's a question, I guess, of whether there's any indication that inflation is going down enough, right, so that the, the Fed can stop hiking uh, and what Powell is likely to signal about that either way. Is there any upside in him suggesting that this is the last hike? Not really. Uh, I think it's probably, you know, a fair bit too early to declare victory. Uh, and also, I gotta, we got to keep in mind there are two more CPI reports between now and the uh, September meeting, the next meeting. So it probably makes sense for him to, you know, be mildly pleased with what we saw in the most recent CPI report. But we're still very far from the Fed's goal. Uh, and there's really no point in kind of pre-committing to either a pause or another hike at the next meeting when you're going to learn so much between now and then. Yeah, I mean, along those lines, it does seem like uh, disinflation is gaining traction here. But meantime, you've had labor negotiations look no further than UPS and Teamsters today. Um, you've had home price reacceleration in recent months look no further than Case Schiller this morning. And then you're starting to see things like wheat prices spike higher because of the tensions between Russia and Ukraine. How sticky are we? I realize it's come down from the highs dramatically, but are we in a sticky situation here in terms of where inflation is right now? So I think of all the things you mentioned, the one that's uh, probably the most concerning for the Fed in terms of its stickiness and its importance is labor costs. Those have uh, started to you know, moderate in terms of their gains, but not as much as we've seen in, let, let's say, the headline CPI. So until you know we see softer wage gains more sustainable wage gains uh, i don't think the fed you know even if they pause and or stop uh, that they're gonna you know signal that they're comfortable with the situation if we have you know wage inflation running something like you know in the mid fours as it is now michael how much should we be concerned about the state of the consumer Uh, We just heard from Alaska Airlines CEO that domestic travel is is a little weak, granted because people are traveling internationally so much. LVMH saying that the aspirational luxury uh, customer in the U.S. uh, isn't doing as well. And we know that the student loans are, are going to kick in. You expect Powell to talk much about that? And even if he doesn't, how much should investors be considering it? Well, so I think some of the th- things you mentioned are just normalization from a really strong period of uh, post-pandemic, you know, <laughs> reopening uh, spending. 
so that phase of the recovery looks like it's mostly behind us. Uh, that said, the most recent num hard numbers we have, which was the, uh, you know, the June retail sales report, uh, look pretty favorable on Thursday. I guess Friday we'll see the real consumption numbers for June are expected to be pretty decent. So, you know, uh, there's anecdotes, you know, one way or the other. I think the hard, hard data is actually holding in pretty well. I do agree with you. The student loan issue will be a, I think, a bit of a, a speed bump for the, for the consumer, but that's not really going to hit us uh, until October. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how AI plays into all of this, too, as it becomes realized as well from an economic standpoint. Mike Faroli, thanks for joining us and previewing tomorrow with the Fed. Uh, in the meantime, John, MetaShares are up after hours. I don't know if that's in sympathy with Google and, and this idea of an ad stabilization or whether it's sort of a knee-jerk in response to how weak some of the snap results were. And I, I say think, that with an asterisk. Yeah, it, it's Google. Uh, I think... Snap isn't big enough that stealing all that share, if it all went to Meta, uh, would be good <laughs> enough on its own if the overall ad market weren't stable. Thinking about the consumer also, because so many of these results that we're seeing are businesses spending money, trying in a difficult environment to get closer to the consumer. It doesn't necessarily mean that the consumer is responding. So as we continue to track these earnings, I don't know how much of that we're going to see, but it's worth asking. Yeah, and of course, it, it makes the visa results that we've gotten after the bell. Those shares are down fractionally right now, uh, important as well along those lines. Well, it's been a busy hour. That's going to do it for us here at Overtime. Fast Money starts now. Welcome back to Overtime. Leaders in the sports industry gathering today at Game Plan, an event hosted by CNBC and Boardroom moments ago. ESPN's chairman James Pataro spoke with our very own Julia Borston about the future of live sports. He responded to a CNBC report that the sports channel has held talks with the NBA, NFL and MLB about forming a strategic partnership. Here's what he said. Can't comment on who we're talking to. Um, I, will, I will emphasize the fact that we believe that there are parties out there uh, that can help us on the content side. Um, and so you can, you can draw whatever conclusions you want from that, but you know, my priority is when we do launch flagship channels directly to the consumer a la carte, that the content proposition is as compelling as it can be. All right, you can read between the lines there a little bit. Little. <laughs> if you want to catch more of Game Plan, check out the QR code that is on your screen right now. And if you want more on Texas Instruments earnings, the CEO is making headlines on the call. Christina Parks and Evelis can tell you what they are. Christina? Yeah, I'm just listening to the call right now. Texas Instruments management is warning that in Q3, which is this current quarter right now, they are, quote, not expecting to see any significant change in our end markets compared to this last quarter. In other words, there continues to be weakness all across all end markets with, of course, the exception of automotive and likely limited signs of recovery in China. That negative reasoning contributed to the weaker quarterly guide that we saw for Q3 and why the stock is down almost 4%. Yeah. I'm going to get back on that call. John? All right. Yeah, a little bit lower even than when the numbers first crossed. Christina, thanks. Thanks. Well, it's not just about earnings. We're also focused on tomorrow's Fed decision. Up next, J.P. Morgan Chief U.S. Economist Mike Ferroli on what he wants to hear from Fed Chair Powell tomorrow. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.